Welcome to the WCAPS 5 podcast series. WCAPS is an online community dedicated to strengthening the leadership and professional development of women of color, specializing in the fields of peace, security, conflict transformation, and foreign policy. Join us as we unpack their valuable perspectives, learn from their strategies, and grow together. Vive. Vision. Impact. Voice. Engagement. First off, I want to say welcome to everybody who's with us on the call. And thank you for taking time out of your Friday afternoon, evening to have a conversation with us, highlighting two of our working group members' ID journeys and kind of career paths. Hopefully this is an opportunity for all of you and others who may join us to kind of get insight onto, you know, some of our our colleagues' journeys and then also to ask questions and kind of reflect on how, you know, their insight could help you on your own ID journey as I know most of us are very interested in ID or have careers in ID. And, you know, this is just kind of to also commemorate WCAP's third anniversary, third birthday. And I thought, what better way for our group to celebrate this anniversary than to celebrate fellow WCAPS members and just, you know, continuously showcase and uh, display how not only valuable and pertinent our members are and how we all contribute to the shared mission, but also to kind of celebrate WCAPS as well. Um, as a whole for allowing us to convene in these types of ways. So welcome and thank you. Uh, First and foremost, I would like to start off by kind of doing a series of introductions. And luckily, there aren't that many of us yet. For those who will join us later on, I'll I'll drop something in the uh, chat box for us to kind of share your name and role and kind of let people know who you are. But I would love to start with just introducing those of us who are on the calls as active participants and then moving into the introductions of those who we will highlight and kind of celebrate today and then having them go straight into sharing their stories. So I will start. My name is Gabrielle Gay. I'm pretty active in WCAPS. I work in international development. I work at Catholic Relief Services with a focus on international development, aren't we all? With a focus on impact investing and private sector engagement. I also dabble here and there in some business developments. Right now I'm currently doing a business development tour of duty for the Sierra Leone Country Program, um, where where I'm helping them to kind of pick up some some older proposals that they're trying to go for and, and such. So that is me in a nutshell. Who would like to go next? Perhaps Danette? Good afternoon, everyone. Happy uh, Friday. Thank you so much for organizing this event. Uh, my name is Danette Mogis. My international development career have mostly been around supporting uh, local governance and peacebuilding work, both from a program management um, as well as business development. I've I'm currently working at Nature, which is the National City County Health Association, as a project manager supporting uh, infectious disease and immunization. So heavily involved in COVID response, uh, mostly but for U.S. jurisdictions. I look forward to our discussion today. Thank you. 
awesome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. How about Nicole? My name is Nicole Lowry. I'm currently at the State Department in the Office of the Undersecretary for Civilian Democracy and Human. So my portfolio is part special assistant with the humanitarian assistance portfolio, also issues with Sub-Saharan Africa, and I'm also in monitoring and evaluation of finance programs. And prior to my time at State, I worked about 10 years on USAID programs working with Monarchs International. Happy to be here. How about, and I'm sorry if I say this incorrectly, Bathsheba? Yes. <laughs> yes. Hi, Gabby. Hi, everyone. I'm Bathsheba Bryant-Tarpe, and I've been a WCAPS member. And I'm currently a Mellon postdoctoral fellow at the Smithsonian um, and the International Relations Office. So I work mainly on the science and global conservation side of the house, really expanding our work in all parts of the globe where we work with communities and environmental conservation. Um, but my research background has been mainly focused on looking at indigenous community land rights um, and resource rights, um, particularly women, and linkages with food security, um, as well as natural resource management. So I'm looking um, to hear, I'm looking forward to hearing the speakers today and delving more into um, ID work and getting in focus with Africa. Very cool. Me too. And Lindsay? Hi, I'm, hopefully you can hear me. My name is Lindsay Whitehead. I'm actually a doctoral student at Howard University. And so I'm here to just learn and listen because I aspire to be in many of the positions that you all are currently in. And so just here to learn as much as possible. And I see some other folks are connecting. So this is awesome. Maybe Dianelli. I'm sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. Would you like to introduce just a name and, and what you do for a living? Hi, sorry. Dinelli Zamorano. I'm work, work Save the Children under their Global Safety and Security Team. Awesome. My sister works for Save oh, the Oh, really? Team. Yeah. Her name is Eliza. She's actually part of this working group, too. I'm going to, you know, get on her for not being here a little later. But anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Christina? Uh, Christina Beach. I'm an academic, and I'm based in Brussels, and I'm a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. Nice to meet you all. Nice to, nice to be here. Wonderful. Great to have you. And last, of course, but not least, Bonnie. Hi, everyone. Hi, uh, Gabby. Thanks for doing this. Bonnie Jenkins, uh, founder and executive director of WCAPS. It's been a great month being able to go to all of the different events uh, that the chapters and the working groups are hosting. So this is another nice one. So thanks, Gabby. And I'm glad that we are recording this because we love to put these on our webpage under the podcast. If you haven't visited the new website, please do so. We just launched it on Monday. It looks great. So, um, you know, it's just, uh, this is really good. So I'm looking forward to a really good discussion and future discussions on this topic. Thanks. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. So thank you all for your introductions. Now we're going to dive into introducing folks that we will spotlight this, this evening. So I'm not sure... I can totally, you guys sent over amazing bios um, to me, you know, about a week ago, and I can certainly read those, or I can allow you to, to introduce yourselves in real time. So I don't know who wants to go first, either Sunday or Juanita, and I can also, you know, share those more in-depth bios with the group when I kind of send out a, a debrief of this, this event. Yeah, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. Why not? 
Well, thanks so much. And good afternoon, everyone. I'm delighted to be here with you all. And I just want to start by congratulating Bonnie and the entire WCAPS team and Gabby for all the incredible work that's taken place over the past months and years on, on the network itself and for just the efforts um, recently with the, the relaunch of the webpage and all the great things that you're doing. I could not have imagined a, a forum like this, you know, when I started 25 years ago. But before I go into the story, just to introduce myself, I'm Sunday Bridget Jones, and I'm uh, currently in a role as Managing Director for Policy and Coalitions at the Rockefeller Foundation. And I'm here as a result of many Black women and other women of color and white women, you know, I think just as a support at this, at this time. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation this evening, but I'll stop there and I won't go through my bio because I think, you know, that that's accessible through Google, et cetera, and, um, and pass over to Juanita. All right. Good afternoon. Well, good evening here. Um, it's, it's late, but <laughs> good afternoon. Good evening to you all. My name is Dr. Juanita Lewis and I am the director for WCAPS Ghana, which will be launching this year, probably next month. And I currently live in Accra, Ghana. Um, my background is that I have a, I am a food biochemist. I have a, a PhD in food science. And I really kind of stumbled upon the international development space. Um, I've always wanted to do international, but as far as what does that look like? And I've been blessed to have a career path where I've been able to, you know, try different things. And it's been an international space and to be able to expand my mind. So I've worked at the State Department. I've worked at an NGO. I've also have worked in industry and have covered the transatlantic, you know, arena as well as, you know, the, the continent of Africa and Southeast, South Central Asia. That's what they call it state. Um, so I have, you know, experiences in that. And what has really been my support system during this time is just meeting other women, specifically Black women. So to Sunday's point earlier, you know, it, it, I, this is great. So Gabby and Bonnie, I'm so glad to be a part of this and glad to be sharing the stage with Sunday because, you know, this is an opportunity to, you know, talk about how no, you know, no one career path is different, but also talking about, you know, what we've seen, you know, what are, I want to say tricks of the trade, but, you know, what to watch out for. And, and especially as the world is changing, what does the international development space look like, especially when it comes to some, and currently, you know, I serve as a consultant here in Accra, I'm working on it with women in agribusiness um, as in small, medium enterprises in that space, as well as in the waste and environment uh, area. And what I love seeing is that there's more and more Black women who are interested in getting into international development. So I think this is a good opportunity to, you know, be able to continue the sisterhood. And I look forward to sharing words of wisdom, but also looking forward to learning as well. This is a uh, reciprocated, you know, reciprocal relationship. So I want to make that very clear as we start. Wonderful. Thank you to both of you for your introductions. And I say, let's dive right into this. So I guess the format is going to be, we're going to have you each share, you know, highs and lows, interesting moments and, and just your experiences kind of navigating through the international development sector throughout your career. And, you know, some of the things we would like to, to know are, you know, how did you learn about ID? Where did your career begin? Maybe some defining moments, very rewarding experiences, or perhaps experiences that may have been 
disappointing, etc. So I will invite Sunday to begin and to just share her story and, you know. Thanks a lot, Gabby. And I'll try to do so, but not take up too much time because I think the richness, do we have until five or do we? Uh, we do have until five. So Okay, I, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure we have time and I know for we, we can talk a whole for a long time and in introducing ourselves, but I, I really want to have that exchange with all, with all of you. I'll just say, you know, I think a few things. I mean, my journey began really with my mother who I lost four years ago. I'm from Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, originally born and raised by my, my mother. And I have three siblings and education was the way forward. That's what she emphasized. And she I'm the eldest, and she put me into a high school for international affairs, which is kind of a magnet school. And so she set me on the path, really. I went to undergrad at Georgetown School of Foreign Service. I went to graduate school right after at the University of Pittsburgh Graduate School of Public and International Affairs. And one of the really, like, really important moments for me was after I did my junior year at Georgetown at Dakar, Senegal, and I was studying African studies at the time, international affairs. I already had the bug, right? I was I was out overseas and I was really enjoying it. And of course, being exposed to all the different folks in the Foreign Service, had definitely headed to the Foreign Service from, from Georgetown experience. But one really important point for me in my career it was in between my graduate school years where I had the opportunity to to intern for the summer with 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 the late Ambassador Joe Wilson. And Bonnie would know him. Um, he was ambassador to Gabon at the time. And this was like uh, 94, 95. Uh, so in that in between that summer, summer, I guess it's like summer of 90, I don't know, somewhere around that time. And he... In that experience of being kind of his special assistant, if you will, being that fly on the wall for all the conversations, including with the pres- with President Bongo at the time, which was quite fascinating to see this man who I had heard so much about, who had, you know, in his like platform heels and everything, because it was quite short and just really watching that every move and, and understanding what it meant to be in diplomacy and the field of diplomacy and, and how these conversations kind of unfolded and, and the way that we, you know, actually just even uh, position ourselves and in those kinds of settings. And I can remember during that time that a dear friend of mine, Hillary Thomas-Lake, who also went to Georgetown and her father, Franklin Thomas, was president of the Ford Foundation. And we were in a meeting waiting for Bongo. And I started, it was like hours waiting and I started shuffling around and everything. And I started scratching my hair and doing all kinds of things. And she was just like, girl, if you don't sit still, and this is an African-American woman, if you don't sit still and just, you know, be poised and everything. And I just so vividly remember that as it like it was yesterday, but it, it taught me so much that summer and just set me on the right path. And just to quickly say, I started my career um, as a presidential management fellow at the time it was called intern, the U.S. Agency for International Development. And I shot up very quickly through USAID, through that program and ended up uh, joining the Foreign Service and having tours in uh, Malawi and South Africa and Central Asia and based in Almaty, Kazakhstan, and ended my time with USAID in Baghdad um, around the time of the invasion. And uh, th- these were places that were 
just so much happening at the time. South Africa was right after Mandela was elected, you know, Kazakhstan just going through this whole period of 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 just kind of separating a bit from from Russia but still trying to find its way and and I was a democracy and governance officer at USAID so that was not an easy you know uh, tour in Central Asia given given the governance structures in that region and and then you know just having the chance to 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 be in Baghdad I shouldn't say it that way having the chance but really feeling that strong urge of of, of being perhaps a voice in the wilderness in that terrible policy that we had in terms of invading Iraq at the time, but but feeling feeling really feeling like that I can contribute to the thinking about a more sustainable political and democratic political path and helping to set up their first transitional national election. And then and so that that kind of set me off. And I had amazing mentors at USAID. It was such a, at that time a training ground for 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 young folks coming through and I mean I had a wide variety a wide diversity of mentors many of them women men uh, across the you know racial ethnic spectrum and I feel very very fortunate to have had that because that that gave me a sense of the possibilities that I could have and while I didn't meet Ambassador Jenkins at the time was people like her, who um, who really gave me an example to aspire to, and and think that I can I could do more. But just a long story short, I'll I'll just say that that set me off on a path. And I had one really fascinating conversation with a mentor of mine, a male, Aaron Williams, who used to, who was a leading figure in, at USAID for many for many years, became an executive at 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 RTI, and now is now retired, but currently doing a book on. African Americans in um, international in international affairs, and he he said to me after a few years of being in the foreign service, he says he said, you know, what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to be in the foreign service for many more years, and this was in South Africa um, towards like the beginning of my 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 stint in the foreign service, and he said, I don't want to see you loving your cats and your dogs, and I thought that that was the most anti-feminist thing to say to someone who's single and young and thinking about this career. But what he was saying to me was that there, that it's not an easy life and being in the foreign service uh, with, in, in, with aspirations of being married or coupled up or whatever will be a real challenge. And so it just put a, it was not the best thing he could have said, but I, I actually appreciate it after a while because it made me start to think through other opportunities. But since I left aid and back in 2004, I've had essentially like just paths that set out for me. I ended up at the UN working with, with the late Kofi Annan on, on beats like the Maoist insurgency and, and on Pakistan when Musharraf was president and then in South Asia. I've, I've also, you know, decided that I wanted to have some time when I was expecting my, uh, my, my, my daughter's sage and I moved to Princeton University and I ended up with Anne-Marie Slaughter, who has been a fantastic mentor of mine and who brought me into the Obama administration when she went. I did that. I did a international affairs fellowship at the Council on Foreign Relations. I had been a term member as a result of participating in a network, something like this, which is called the International Careers Advancement Program that's operated in part by, by Tom Rowe out of the University of Denver and in Aspen. And 
you know, being able to be introduced to the Council on Foreign Relations Network and people there has really kind of propelled my, my career, particularly leading to joining the Obama administration, working at the State Department on, on uh, human rights issues, and then finally landing at the foundation eight years ago. And I will just kind of close by saying there's so much more to share, but not about myself, but just in terms of an exchange with us in terms of those things that are important, that just three things I'll just say. The first thing I'll, I'll say is, is, and we all know this, right, the importance of finding mentors and champions and sponsors, I think, throughout our career paths and seeing that relationship as, as a sharing, as an exchange, not just as someone who's going to get me to the next place, but building those relationships of trust and friendship is so incredibly important. And, and I would suggest that it would be with people, again, across the spectrum of, 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 of identity in, in many ways and all the intersectional ways that we can think of it. Uh, and that has been incredibly important for me. The second thing that I will say is that, you know, there's a lot of things that I think we, not only as women of color, but women and just being this, where we are, I mean, I'm 48, and sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm really, gosh, I'm really 48. But, <laughs> but just the things that we have to unlearn to, to be that authentic person that we want to be in both our professional and personal settings and having the confidence to say, yes, I, this is where I belong. I belong around this table, not just in this room. And to be prepared, to make sure that we're prepared to be able to make contributions to these important conversations and that unlearning piece or either rethinking and is, is really important. And, and just the last thing I'll say is that uh, my friend, C.D. Glenn, who's the head of, I think it's the U.S. Africa Development. Uh, I don't know if it's called Foundation, but it's the, it's the one that's, that's part of the USG. He and I have known one another for years. He used to work at Rockefeller and he's there. But he would always say to me, the dream is free, but the hustle is sold separately. And I think that is such a powerful thing that I have held on to because we do have to work hard, you know, to to bring that excellence that I think each of us wants to bring to these to these platforms and conversations. But let me just stop there and hand over to Juanita. I'm sure she has many things to share. And I am sorry if I've gone on longer than I had wanted to. But. So Sunday, that's so funny. So I'm also a Philly girl as well. Um, was born in Philadelphia, but raised in South Jersey, but went to school in Philly. I went, I actually, my parents are from Northwest. My mom's from Germantown. My dad's from Mount Airy. And they are Philly through and through. My mom actually taught before she retired at Girls High. So I come from a family of Girls High girls. And I went to school. I went to elementary school in West Philly. Um, so it's always great to to share the share the stage with someone from the 215. I always appreciate it. Um so that's always been, um, man, you've come a long way. Anywho, uh, <laughs> so for me, um, I my international development journey, actually same started with my mom as well. She's an educator. My mom was a music teacher um, for several years um, until retiring. And my mom had this, you know, she, for her, she doesn't feel like she lived this incredible life, but I really feel like she did. My mom traveled before she got married. And, and traveled twice. I think she she was a missionary at one point and lived in India. And then my mom also went to Rome, um, you know, playing for uh, the Episcopalian priest at the time or something. 
And so, you know, when I got to high school, I played several instruments because I come from a musical family. And my mom wanted us to have this international experience. And I was so hyped because we my orchestra was going to Italy and I thought it was going to be a girl's trip. It turned out to be a father-daughter trip. I was so mad <laughs> because I really wanted to have that girl's trip with my mom before I went to college. My mom was like, no, you need to have this time with your dad. But I had so much fun with my dad um, and it just, you know, really I caught the bug. And I've always wanted to have a career where I could see my impact. Um, as a result, I went to St. Augustine's University because I wanted to be in a space where I wanted people to look like me. So I, I graduated from two HBCUs for my undergrad and my master's. And like Sunday, I went straight through did my two degrees in chemistry and then um, did my PhD at NC State. So I literally just stayed within the North Carolina area. But I always knew I wanted to have an international career, but I didn't know anything about international development. I knew that the things that I did were, you know, reachable as far as, you know, what I could do, but I didn't see how that was possible. And I really am blessed that if it was left to me, I don't, you know, really know how where it would be. And, you know, I did travel while I was in undergrad. We would go on family trips. I went to Costa Rica in grad school because someone had a class posted up on a tree one day. It was tropical plant pathology. You got to go to Costa Rica for free. So I was like, hey, I'm here for it. And I started to see how science can be used in the international development space, why it's important that science matters and why data and, and facts and statistics, you know, help to make evidence-based decisions. Um, and so I met at that time, when, especially when I was in college, I had pledged a sorority. So I'm a, um, part of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated and a Sara, a, a as we say in the South, you know, a Sara of mine. She also received her PhD a few years before me and told me about AAAS. And it was a science and technology policy fellowship that allowed you to work in the executive branch. And I knew I didn't want to work in the government forever, but I was like, oh, this would be great. You know, let's see what happens. And I wanted to work for USAID. Unfortunately, my dissertation defense was moved. I ended up moving on to, you know, I missed the deadline for AAAS as a result and ended up um, working in industry after I, I finished. And that was the first time I actually got to see what happens when scientists are able to work in policy a little bit, right? You know, what happens when we change labels on food products and how it affects the rest of the world. And then from there, I applied from AAAS because I wanted to make a change. So I got the German Marshall Fund, Marshall Memorial Fellowship, and, you know, was able to live in Europe for a month, you know, being a nomad and wanted to make that transition. So I went to state, to the Department of State via the AAAS Fellowship. And I always said I wanted to do international ag policy. And I did that for two years and worked in women in ag. And that was the first time where I could definitely apply what I saw. And I, and to Sunday's point, the importance of mentors. I had a mentor at each stage. I still have mentors, whether it's a spiritual mentor, you know, whether it's through my parents and I'm, you know, my parents are cut from, even though they're both from the same part, you know, you know, they're from two different neighborhoods in Philly, but, you know, they are very different. My dad is a Buddhist. And so he gives me a very different perspective as opposed to my mom, who's Christian. And so you have this Eastern philosophy and this other philosophy just, you know, kind of guiding me and, and, and guiding me to what I need to do. And so as a result, I, was able to speak my mind and just say, you know, I don't like such and such. I don't feel like this policy does this. The facts say this, the facts say that. And I was appreciated in the office, even under this current administration, this is before all the madness came, what we have now. But, um, you know, I was able to do that. And I created these women in ag 
a workshop to connect African women across the continent who were farmers and scientists and to really talk about why they should, why their voices mattered. And so, you know, the ups to that, you know, the creativity was there. The downs to that is, you know, you got to deal with paperwork, memos, and people always want to have their two cents. And I think one of the worst stories for me was being in Ethiopia, launching this, this workshop for the first time. And there's a white male who's doing the introduction. He's from the USG, the U.S. government. And he's talking to this group of, of Ethiopian women. And he says, I'm so inspired. This reminds me of the scientist Temple Graydon. And I was so disappointed because I was like, Temple Graydon's a white woman and she has a learning disability. She has autism. So you mean to tell me that you're inspired? These women remind you of Temple Graydon? How? And I pulled him aside and I said, that was inappropriate. And so I realized that this is something I would see a lot in the international development space, seeing people, you know, not who would just say anything off the cuff and it wasn't appropriate. So I took the time while I was at state to call people out in an appropriate way. And my boss at the time, my director was a white male. He was also from Philly and he was like, man, you are a Philly girl through and through. He was like, I tell you what, you be call, you hold people's ass to the fire. And he was like, and you do not care. And you will tell them, I do not care what you think. <laughs> and, you know, and then just kind of go about your business. So that gave me the, you know, and I say this because, you know, sometimes we're so afraid to ruffle feathers. And I've had mentors who are like, oh, you're natural. You should wear your hair straight for an interview. No, if it's not, if I can't be my authentic self, it's not for me. And I say, and I've been like that throughout my, my entire career. You know, after being at State, I moved to Ghana um, after having been an embassy science fellow here in Accra before. And I moved here and I worked for another, you know, African-American woman. And it just wasn't a good fit. But I also was able to stand my ground and do what I needed to do to be able to be where I am now. So I'll just, you know, I'll stop there and, you know, continuing to learn from, from each, of, each of you, but definitely do not change yourself. I mean, listen to what people have to say because some people are out of pocket. That's a little different. But, you know, don't change yourself to appease other people and especially of what's going on now in the U.S. And the, I would always say the quote that I always use is, grow where you're, where you're planted, as well as what my grandmother, who passed away in April, used to tell Love me, that. <laughs> either there won't be the monkey that helps you or the gorilla the that stands in your way. Great. Thank you so much, both of you, for sharing your, your stories. And now I think you're right, Sunday, the richest part of any program similar to this is the dialogue that goes back and forth. So we would love to hear any questions that any of the, the participants have. I I'm very keen on hearing more about foreign service and how that was a bridge for you to get into international development. Um, just because I always think of, you know, foreign service, international development, those are just different focuses within the same industry, which is international affairs, right? And I'm also interested in hearing about you, Juanita, you know, from a science background, found yourself in international development and how you found that to be a, a valuable contribution. You know, I think that's a very valuable contribution. I always thought people who went into international development followed the same path, you know, Peace Corps or something like that. And then, you know, you know, traveling around and, and jumping into it that way. Whereas, you know, the more and more I even see people's resumes come across, like introducing a new team member they have varied backgrounds and all of them are important and contribute to different ways to do this very important work. So 
I don't know, it, that could maybe be a segue to start into it, but I'm very interested to hear from all of the other participants as well. And if you don't feel like unmuting yourself and speaking directly, put it in the chat box and, and I will make sure that that question is, is relayed, so. I guess I can just quickly say for me, from a science background, I mean, I'm the first scientist in my family. Um, I come from a family of music educators. My dad is a recreational therapist. My sister's an architect. So even for how I came into science, it's very, you know, it's not the conventional path. I mean, I was, came to St. Aug on a music scholarship. I played three instruments, got perfect pitch, blah, 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 blah. And that wasn't, you know, chemistry. I love chemistry in high school, but I, you know, wanted to major in psychology because I wanted to be a pediatric neurosurgeon. And so seeing that bridge into international development, I mean, what probably got me interested was hearing about other avenues in my PhD program. Because, you know, if you are a scientist, they always say either you go to academia, you go to industry, or you go to government. And that's it. That's all you get. And I said, there's got to be more. I'm not teaching nobody's kids. My mom told me a long time ago, these children are crazy. I'm getting out of this joint and you can't do this. You know, she's like, I will kill you if you teach somebody's style. And the only teaching I do is yoga. I am a yoga teacher. That's about it. But I uh, really kind of stumbled upon it because I went to this Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers conference and found about AAAS and I started researching it. And then what really opened my mind was doing the German Marshall Fund Marshall Memorial Fellowship and being with the people from all around the country and all around Europe who were in these spaces. Like one of my really good friends from the European cohort, she works for BET, like BET France. And she's actually the person that's holding Macron's butt to the fire. Her name is Rakaya Diallo and everybody, she now works, writes for Washington Post. And, you know, so actually seeing, and what I did see is with the gap, like what can I contribute to that? And I'm like, hey, I'm a girl who know who's coming from the tri-state area. I can, I have a story to tell. Why not tell it? And I also worked in, in, on toaster strudel, Gabby. I worked on toaster strudel icing for three years. And so my thing is I have a technical background and I, and I started noticing that in international development, there's not enough technical conversations. And so that's where I thought like, this is how I can contribute in learning how to be concise which, because as scientists, we like to go on and on and all about facts and figures, and everybody's like, I don't know what the heck you just talked about. So it's really, truly an art, and that's really how I got into international development, and it's probably one of the best choices that I've ever made. Awesome. Yeah, that's interesting about the, the technical thing, because, and not to put any organizations on blast, so I won't repeat where I work, but... You know, we have a large department that um, is basically all of the technical folks, and they definitely wear that that badge on their sleeves. But, you know, sometimes when you ask them for technical advice, they'll point you in a, in a million different directions. So that's an interesting observation that you have that I may have observed a little bit where I'm at. But people are definitely proud of their their technical expertise and 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 tout it, but sometimes I feel like it can be kind of a, a round robin kind of go here, go there, go here, go there. But anyway, I digress. Sunday. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll speak to a few points around that, but also the question that you posed, Gabby, just in terms of how we think about the foreign service. And I mean, I can remember having a mentor who used to be kind of the associate dean at the graduate school for uh, School of Foreign Service at, at, at Georgetown, but I met her through the International Career Advancement Program. 
and which I commend to people. I think you should just definitely take a look at it because it's kind of nurturing networks of of people and of of underrepresented people in this space. And she, when I first met her back in 2002, she gave me a book called Careers in International Affairs. Actually, I may have got, had that book before. It's one that's edited, she edited for many years. I think it probably is, has an edition nine right now produced by Georgetown University. And in it, it's an entire book about different kinds of careers. And so for me, I always thought about opportunity within the broader international affairs space. And although I ended up in the development space, I never thought of that I couldn't do X or Y, that I couldn't have an entry point. And so, but it just so happened that given my experience living in Senegal for my junior year abroad, maybe a similar experience to someone who may have done Peace Corps, I, I gravitated to uh, agencies like, like USAID. And, and I've worked both at USAID and later at State. And there are many differences, and I'm sure Ambassador Jenkins can, can share some of them. But, but there is this, this shared effort around, you know, American leadership and execution of foreign policy, you know, just in terms of, you know, kind of sharing values, being supportive of broader development things. And that may have gone off the track over the past years. And in, in previous years, it has had gone off the track on occasion too. But, um, but that, that's a shared, a shared mission. And so I would, you know, kind of work alongside colleagues while at USAID who were at State Department who had complementary roles, but especially given that I worked in the democracy and governance sector. But what I'll say, I mean, I don't know if this is the case now, but at, at there are always these trends around hiring. And I found that for USAID in particular, they were, they were more looking at people with technical expertise, particular technical expertise, speaking to the point that Juanita made, because their selection and process is slightly is different. You don't take the foreign service exam like they do at state. But at that time, when I was coming through, it was a different kind of process. Uh, it was like a panel process where you where you interview and so definitely and and one had to have a graduate degree, which is not the case when you take you know the foreign service grant exam and you go into state department. So I think aid was at at that time looking for more technical expertise. Over the years, what I found as I've navigated from aid into this role at UN and other places, I have learned that there are these waves around institutions that are looking for people who are generalists, who can do some of the basic competencies extremely well, and who know how to build relationships with other folks so that, because it's really at the end of the day, the business is about negotiation. And it's about negotiation around particular visions and ways forward. And, and of course, there, there are tactic, tactics along with that. But essentially, it's about that. And, and that, that, that is what really, that is what, if we think about outside of the conventional foreign affairs apparatus, and we think more broadly, like looking at philanthropy as part of the work of international development as well, you know, they're looking for people who can do that and have technical skill sets when, 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 you, need, when, you, when you need them, but really looking for people who can drive forward, who have strategic planning skills who actually more and more, I think, people who communicate well, not just in terms of the basics, but I mean, communicate in a way 
that is that can that compels people to to drive towards the action and and be able to even conceptualize issues in a different way. So just as a recent example of some work that I'm doing now, I came into the foundation looking at being that person who knew the multilateral space, and that's what they wanted me for, but then they had this big work around resilience. And the notion of what resilience and those kinds of adaptive capacities can be at a citywide level. The head of our foundation was a psychologist, used to be the president at University of Penn, And she knew what it meant to be resilient from an individual level, but how do you move these things up to city levels and have a thinking, a very strong kind of ethos around how cities weather storms? And that was a time when Katrina happened, when Superstorm Sandy happened and all these other things. So how do we get through these, you know, and currently in this moment, how do we get through this time of dealing with pandemics? And in in the background that I had in working in these different places, um, being able to make connections with different cultures and, and people, languages, I think suited it, suited it well. But my current work is centered on thinking about what an equitable recovery from this time really looks like with a real focus on equity and access and, and leaning into making, making kind of thinking about what is the Green New Deal for, for, for not only the Global South, but for everywhere you know, even for here in the United States and thinking about people who don't have reliable electricity in places or people who don't have it at all. And that that being one of an important component of, of, of course, being able to access health issues. And so while after grad school going into USA, I didn't think I'd be working on those issues. I'm working on those issues now. And I can do it because I know how to get up to speed on things pretty quickly you know, I know how to build relationships and reach out through my networks because I've, you know, and if I don't know the answer, then I can find people who do and I can at least present. I can also hold, and this is important for our community and for this call, I can hold people's feet to the fire on equity in a way that others won't. And I think for these times that that's really important. I've been emboldened by what's happened over the past you know, months or so, because I wasn't, unlike Juanita, I wasn't that person who would say what was on my mind. It, I had to come to that over the years to find to find that that voice that's so important. Great. Yeah, that was, um, it, it made me think about a bunch of things, but I don't want to keep running my mouth either. Does anybody have any questions for our two highlighted guests this week? Or I guess this quarter, because we're going to be doing it. Hi, I just want to add, first of all, thanks for doing this. And Sundar, you were talking about you're going into the PMI and ICAP. I was also PMI <laughs> before PMF. And I remember ICAP obviously is still around, but when I was at the Ford Foundation, I funded them. And so they still do a lot of really good work. So it was just interesting to hear that because I didn't know you were a PMI. I don't know how I missed you in those two situations. I feel like we probably should have known each other a long time ago. But <laughs> but thank thank you both for 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 your input. I, I was I was texting to uh, Gabby that I think these are really good um, opportunities not only to learn about you know careers and what we should be thinking about and things that particularly young people can consider, but also to highlight the amazing work of our WCAPS members. And so I, you know, I not only encourage uh, Gabby to do more of these, I'm actually going to be encouraging other working groups to find ways to um, 
I mean, one of the, I guess I'll turn on my screen as I talk here, but one of the reasons why we did WCAPS is because we wanted to highlight these amazing women like yourselves. And, you know, I get a little tired myself of seeing the same people, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, I know I'm always asked to do things and I do it because for me, I'm, I feel like I'm an ambassador for WCAPS. So anytime I can get WCAPS's name out there, but, you know, we need to, we need to hear, hear from other people who are experts. And, and that's one of the reasons why, one of the many reasons why I did WCAPS is like, there's, a, there's amazing women out there. And so many times people feel like, you know, I'm the only one. And in some fields, like the one I was in for nuclear proliferation, yeah, there aren't that many, but in others, there are, there are amazing women of color uh, doing these things. So the more that we can highlight who we are, the better. So thanks for thinking of doing this, uh, Gabby. I think it's a, it's a good way. I think that we all should, all the working groups should be thinking about what we can do to highlight our membership because we have amazing members. I mean, I, sometimes I'm just amazed at who's part of our network that I don't even know who they are until I get an email on the listserv a response by somebody who comes out of the woodworks and has been just reading the, the emails but not responding and then something will happen and they'll respond and yeah I'm a you know my the name CEO or something I'm like oh my god you know <laughs> so we need to um and hopefully the directory and the stuff that we've been doing with the with the pipeline experience will help us learn even more who we are but just thanks again and uh, for everything that uh, that all of you have done and, and Juanita thank you so much of course also for leading our, our Ghana chapter. And we're looking forward to that launch as well. So I just thought I'd just jump in a little bit. <laughs> I have to go for another meeting, but thank you guys. Problem. Thanks for uh, for joining us, Bonnie. And yeah, I, I can't even take the credit for this. This was, this kind of idea of iDetails was an awesome idea by two other members of our working group. So, you know, this is a part of our, our mission and, and a part of some of our goals is to highlight each other, to network with each other, to harness our group for the greater good. So this is something that we will definitely continue to do so that we can all get to know each other and, you know, begin to tackle some of these larger goals that we have in our working group in terms of, you know, kind of flipping the, the sector on its head and kind of questioning things and, and making sure that it evolves in a way that serves us all and, you know, obviously serves the project participants that we aim to, you know, serve, for lack of a better term, I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but um, to, you know, prop up those participants that we, we aim to serve around the globe. So I think just to close it off, I know we are, have gone a couple of minutes over, but to close it off, I think it would be really cool if each of the highlighted folks for this this session shared maybe a very rewarding or um yeah a rewarding or just a very memorable time or accomplishment during their id journey that they would like to share with everybody else and then we can, we can close it off there and then you know carry this forward with other discussions and other events on my wall in a room that my mother was in when she was living with us is a picture of me on a plane with, with Kofi Annan and his wife and a number of people who, who did a, like, I think it was probably like a week trip. And it's such a memorable moment for me because we were on this private plane going to, heading to, first we stopped at Tunisia to unveil the one child laptop. Then we went to Pakistan. 
because the Kashmir earthquake had taken place at that time and we were meeting with Musharraf. And then we ended up on the way back stopping off in Georgia because the president at the time, whose name escaped me, was screaming at the top of his head because of what, what Russia was, was doing um, in the region. But the opportunity for me during the time in Tunisia to sit with next to Kofi Annan, and I was a note taker, but to see how he operated with probably over 50, I think he had 50 or so meetings with heads of state and other leaders around the world and the secret handshakes and, you know, the kinds of, you know, listening and, you know, and his, just his grace was such a lesson for me. And so anytime we can have opportunities to uh, be that special assistant, be the note taker in the room, the fly on the wall earlier on, the, 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 those are special moments because we learn so much. And that's one of the highlights that I think about. Sure. Um, probably two. So the first one would be, when I was at State and I was in Ethiopia. And after that whole fiasco with the white guy, these two women came up to me and, you know, I hadn't, I don't think I made a speech because I didn't feel like I needed to. I just, you know, wanted to see the workshop go well. And these two Ethiopian women came over to me and they said, you know, hi, are you the one that put, you know, that's responsible for this? And I said, yeah, I am. You know, uh, please let me know if you have any feedback. And they look at each other and they said, ah, we knew it was a sister that was behind this. And I said, okay, I'm doing something right. And they gave me the biggest hug after that. My second one would be my PhD program was very, eh, it's a whole Zoom call by itself and it probably would be a hell of a bestseller book with all the love triangles that happened in my lab. But I had a very complacent advisor, a main advisor, and she screwed me over, especially after I graduated. And she wrote me this long apology letter few months later after I had left. And she was saying how, you know, she always knew I believed in paying it forward. And as an apology, she decided to take the money that her husband, her and her husband had, her husband passed away my first year in my doctorate, doctoral program. And they put the money in my name as an endowment at the food science program in North Carolina State University, making me the youngest an only black person and black woman to have the and alive, and I'm also alive, you know, endowment in my in my name. And I was instrumental in that, making sure that it was specifically for students of color who identified as students of color, that they received money because I did not want anyone to go through the month the funny money days I had in my PhD program. And it's still there. They don't want to acknowledge that that is there, but I know it's there that there is the Dr. Juanita E. Lewis Food Science Endowment. Wow, that's very cool. Thank you so much for sharing your, your highlights, bits of your story, some amazing programs in the chat box. If you didn't note them, I've copied them, so they will come out in the follow-up, don't worry. And yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us, to all of the participants. Again, it's Friday evening, so I know everybody's, you know, ready to run to the weekend. But yeah, this was very insightful. I learned a lot. It was amazing hearing your guys' stories. And I can't wait to celebrate more of you moving forward. So hopefully you guys will come to the next one and invite a couple of, uh, of other friends or uh, WCAP working group members, and we'll take it from there. 
So with that being said, I don't know if anybody has any other closing comments, but I think we can leave it there. Great. Have a good evening. Have Thanks. a great day. And stay Have safe and well. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, yes. everyone. Yes. Here's to the weekend. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Thank you.